Welcome to Unlocking the Fitness Industry. I am your host, Jake Abel. I'm a two-time natural pro, a cellular athlete, and we're going to find the best way to get fit, to enter your competitions, and to look your best. So, here we go. Let's get into the episode. And welcome back, guys. Another podcast we're hitting up. I'm super excited today. Like, I'm excited pretty much in every podcast, but this one's going to be kind of special. Um, Troy's kind of been on my radar for the last 12 months. I've kind of been seeing what he's about. Um, He's kind of been across lots of federations, but really made a name himself coming up in the IFBB. And especially in as a niche in bikini, um, but he's obviously done physique guys as well. So we're going to bounce off, obviously, Troy being mostly predominantly IFBB. I'm mostly from the ICN. I think we can find this kind of little halfway ground where we're going to be able to give, Troy's going to be able to give knowledge that I might not have or um, for anyone that's looking to go into the IFBB or anything like that, he's going to be your man. So welcome, Troy. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake, for having me. I appreciate you asking me on. And slightly nervous I am today because Troy has his own podcast and it's always more nerve-wracking podcasting someone with their own podcast. <laughs> um, uh, you know what it is? It's actually probably a bit easier because it's the conversation. You don't have to sort of like ask questions. You know, you get those one-word responses that, and you're like, yeah. oh, shit, where do I have to go from here? So, question, question, question. So what exactly. works well. So where we're going to kick it off is kind of for anyone who hasn't come across you before or anything like that, um, let's have a little bit of chat of how you kind of come up in the industry. What's kind of pushed you instead of just being like one of those everyday PTs into more the competing side? So I probably going back, just like anyone else, I wanted to just develop a good physique. It's like, you know, you're a young skinny kid. Like I was very tall. So I'm like 189. So it's like six foot two. And I just wanted to have a muscular physique. I just wanted like a be like a normal dude with, you know, decent chest, decent arms with abs, never intent, intended to sort of go down the competing side of things. Was in the gym for a while and that one of these old guys was like, hey, look, you should look at to, into competing. I'm like, what's competing? Like, what's, what's bodybuilding? I don't know what you're talking about. So it started from there and I won't bore you with too many some semantics, but I ended up doing my first contest, which was the A&B 2010 show, so 10 years ago as a junior. And that was the Victorian state title. So I won that, which was cool. And I then went on to the nationals, which was two weeks later, placed fifth. Probably didn't agree with the judging. There was in the Sydney judges back then would have been interesting, but, um, and then since then I haven't competed. So that was the only two competitions that I've done. Decided to be a PT after that. I was sort of inspired to look into things a bit more. I actually hired an American coach, which maybe some of your listeners might know, Lane Norton, who specializes in natural bodybuilding. And at the time, the reason why I'd selected Lane was because the people that I sort of was researching in Australia, at least in the time, didn't have the knowledge or didn't have the level of conditioning that I'd like to see in an athlete. So it's like, okay, I set myself this goal. I wanted to do A and B Victoria. I wanted to win. That was like number one thing. I was like, how do I win? What do I need to do? Do some research, get myself a good coach. And didn't find anyone, but found Lane online on the bodybuilding.com forums. And I was like, I'm going to message this dude. And no one was really doing online coaching at the time. And I thought, fuck it. I'm just going to take a risk, get this guy. Because I'd look at all these clients and all have straighter glutes. I'm like, what the fuck? At the time back then, it wasn't really sort of well known. A lot of the guys, the conditioning was probably pretty poor, pretty soft, not a lot of glute action going on. And as, as you know, in a natural bodybuilding contest, conditioning is everything. When you go into IFB, they look at size, a few other things, but conditioning is always probably one of the number one things to consider when you're getting judged. So decided to go down the lane route, learned a lot from him, which was really cool. And uh, yeah, ended up doing that contest, did pretty well. And I was a PT at the time. What I didn't like about PTing as well was probably working with the everyday person. So the lifestyle clients and it wasn't necessarily lifestyle was probably more so the attitude. So when you're PTing in the gym, you're giving someone a lot of your energy. You're giving yourself like if any, any PTs that can probably resonate with this, if your energy is really high and that's not matched in the gym with someone else that you're working with, it, it takes that out of you. And I found that I lost my passion for, probably competing. So I didn't really look at competing from that point forward. And I sort of took a step away from it. Cause I was like, I didn't know what to do. It wasn't like a hiatus. And 
I was thinking about, you know, I was natural at the time and I was like, what am I going to do with, with my physique? Like, what's my long-term goal? Is it achievable, natural? The goal that I had in my head, I was like, you know what? I want to have more muscle. I don't think it's achievable, natural. So at 25 years old, started taking anabolic steroids. I'm 32 now. And I went down that road. Um, probably, probably start with there. So, yeah. Yeah. So where you're sitting at now, you've kind of reached that point. Um, what's your, where, where do you want to be? So are you still looking at an overall physique that you want to kind of attain or have you kind of backed off more? What, like what keeps you motivated in the gym? It's actually, that's an interesting question because I haven't been motivated in the gym for a while. I probably only have recently just got that spark back because I was thinking about doing classic physique in the IFBB and I've just had a switch really, really more so recently that it's really been business focused right now, focusing on clients and athletes. And if I was to compete in the IFBB, it'd probably be very difficult because I would be competing on the same day as my clients. So I haven't really thought about, you know, what I want to do long-term in terms of my physique but I ha- and competing, but I definitely have a vision in terms of what I'd like to look like, my ideal physique. So my ideal physique would probably be more alongside of the classic type of physique, small yeah. waist, big chest, big arms, just really good flowing physique, nice proportion. So I'm a fan of proportion. It doesn't matter if you're like a men's physique competitor, if you're a natural bodybuilder, or if you're enhanced, if you have nice proportion, small waist, good midsection, chest, shoulders, etc., that's the type of physique that I like. Yeah, and you're not that far. <laughs> Should be too far off it, but yeah, definitely that's one thing. Like I've come across is like, especially for me in the pro league, is competing at the end of the day and then having clients all throughout the day as well. So it's like you're just running back and forward, and it's trying to like then kind of. I'm lucky because the pro show they run a little separate, so then it's like you get your time just to catch a breath, pump up, and go. Um, so taking on to that you kind of said that you've left that PT kind of nine to five shift work type of thing like that. And you've gone online, um, which I kind of see like that's pretty much the goal of every single PT these days is like, they just throw online coaching to their bio and put their email and then hope for the best. Um, what kind of made you that jump and then start to get traction on the online route? Um, I know it's probably more tainted now. There's a lot more people doing it. What year did you jump online? Well, it was funny because I actually got out of PTing for a bit and I was working for the Arnold Classic, so the Arnold Sports Festival. So I was working the sales marketing dude for there. So I actually wasn't really PTing or coaching anyone for a long period of time. I probably coached a few people on the side. Like there was a couple of athletes that I worked with that I enjoyed. Um, Wasn't charging them anything, just worked with them for free just because it was like a passion of mine and to keep relevant. And uh, it was a... Because it wasn't a job, I think I didn't mind doing it part-time on top of my, my full-time job, so working for the Arnold. But uh, when I actually started getting into this, back into this properly, I thought, okay. So I was working with a few ladies and I had some really good competitors and a few people pushed me, hey, listen, you should, you should take this full-time. There's a gap in the market. And I was looking at doing other ventures, so like business consulting, uh, which I won't get into too much detail and specifics about. But you know, working with people and wanting to, you know, go through a contest prep with them wasn't really my focus at the time. But a few people said, hey, look, there's a gap in the market. You should do it. And it was something that I really considered. And I only really started saying, okay, cool. I'm accepting that I'm going to do this full time February last year. And then that's as soon as I committed to saying, cool, this is what I'm going to do. I, I went full steam ahead. And because of the knowledge and the background that I had, I worked with some really good clients. Like even when I was let's call it like part-time, I still had two IFB bikini pros that I was working with. So naturally they get good results. Everyone else follows because I get inquiries all the time. I just wasn't interested in taking them on anyone. That makes sense. Yeah. So coming from that, you had say a natural bodybuilding men's background, muscle, all of that type of stuff. How did you kind of develop the knowledge, develop all of those type of things for bikini. Obviously you're not going to prep a male the same as you do a female. Um, so where did you kind of build, build that foundation from? So I had a girlfriend at the time that wanted to compete in, uh, it was IMBA back then. So ICN, same thing. And she was like, I want to do bikini. I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll prep you. So prepped her. She did really well in terms of how she looked. And then she wanted to do an IFB contest. And I thought, okay, cool, let's do IFB as well. So same thing, got in really good shape. Everyone was like, like, whoa, what the fuck? Where'd this woman come from? This guy must know what he's doing. So, and because I was working at the Arnold, like I, I was around IFB events, everyone kind of knew who I was. I was also judging at the time. 
um, as a IFB Pro League judge. Back then, it wasn't the Pro League. So a few people were aware of me that I had a real good eye for the sport, like attention to detail, that type of thing. But because of her um, and her good result, and after someone, you know, I had a few conversations with people, I could help them with posing, and people could see the passion. And then I think, you know, some of the ladies that were curious about my girlfriend could see the passion and thought that I could do the same thing with them. And then, you know, you might accept someone, like someone bothers you enough and you're like, eh, okay, cool, I'll work with you because you're harassing me. You've got a bit of passion. I'm happy to, to sort of share my energy with you. And then you pick up a few of those girls that are really enthusiastic, that want to work hard. Next thing you know, you've got a few of them and then they're all telling you, you should, uh, you know, you should switch to coaching full time and you sort of say, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And that's, I think, for any listeners that are looking down the online route, down the comp prep route, and they've done their PT course. Um, there's no real, like, I know there's, there's a few courses out there for comp prep and all of that type of stuff. But as Troy kind of said, it's just getting getting into it as much as you can, taking on those clients that are willing to do it for free. Um, I did, did, did quite a similar thing and just learning, like, practically, I think is just the best. You learn a lot more than writing on paper and all of those type of things. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, overall, just a rough overcap. What type of methods do you do use for comp prep? So I know like some people are strictly keto, some are flexible dieting, any of those. If you could give like, you don't have to go too deep into it, just a um, blank, blanket overview of kind of what you find. So you've, you've prepped quite a few girls. Um, what you find to see, that seems to be most prevalent? So depending on what their needs are, like I'm a big fan of writing the diet for them. But if a few girls say, look, I've got a few girls that are quite successful. They like to do macros. So then I work yep. with what, I mean, it's you either write the diet for them or they do macros. But the number one thing really is compliance and adherence. So if they're going to follow the plan, so if you give them a set amount of macros and they're following it, you're good to go. If you give someone a diet, they're following it, you're good to go. Uh, but I would say my general method, very consistent with probably what I learned from Lane. So I would probably say a lot of the success I've had from the nutrition side of things was based on his protocols. I sort of used his protocols, but then took a few things out that I didn't like and then made it my own. And it's the same thing with his programming. So his programming actually didn't like so much because it was more power bodybuilding focus. I'm more hypertrophy, high reps, tempo based stuff. He didn't really do any of that. But with the nutrition side of things, low, low carb days, high carb day approaches, having refeeds, doing interval training, very, very important to keep the metabolism in check, slowly tapering up cardio, having periods where you back off cardio, having refeeds. So there's a lot of things that I look at, but it's all individual based on the feedback that you get from the client and how they're responding. And the probably the number one thing really is making sure that you're communicating with the client properly. So if they're not responding, there's a couple of factors that might play, come into play. One of them might be the fact that they're not adhering to everything. The compliance is low. And if the compliance is low, it doesn't matter what you do as a coach, you're not going to get the result. If they're doing everything that you're setting out, the game plan is clear, they're impl like they've implemented it, they're getting after it, then you can go, okay, cool, what do I need to do to make changes? Bumping up cardio slowly, you might be taking away some calories, they might not be sort of filling out after a high carb day. So I use the information that I get from the client to make an assessment on what I need to do in terms of changes. But most of the time, I like to probably take away calories before increasing too much cardio because I'd like to leave that for later. But I definitely like using a bit of cardio to begin with anyway at the start of prep. Yeah, definitely. And it's quite funny, like you mentioned through Lane and it's very similar. Like I kind of always see the old school-ish type of bodybuilders, old school um, people that have been in the industry for a little bit of time are almost at an advantage now. Um, I came up with the exact same. Like I did, my first prep was Lane Norton's Peak Week. Um, on bodybuilding.com. Yeah. So I felt f followed that pretty much to the T. I was having Subway on show day. So I've changed a few things around from that. Um, yeah. But having that old school kind of methods is, it was quite easy because it was quite silent. Like we, you only listen to say one person these days, new coaches coming in, all of that. They're listening to all these different people. Everyone's got their own voice, their own podcast. They're all these other things that are saying you have to do this for peak week, this little secret here. And it's almost um, too many people talking that people just fall down this like evidence-based study or any type of different fad, um, like almost pothole. And it almost, I think you have to have your fiddle, I call it philosophy, 
um, before you kind of start testing it because then you can just test all the bullshit that comes through. Um, and I think that's just, yeah, it's something that old school coaches definitely have something that they know where the bullshit stops almost. Yeah. You get, I mean, look, you're going to be, you got to sort of be open to learning new things, but I think some coaches out there try to reinvent the wheel and it doesn't really need to be done that way. I mean, the people that are really successful, it's like, all right, let's just say we had shit for brains. It's like, all right, let's look at the number one person in the space that gets really good results consistently. And that means conditioning. That means fullness. And that means health, right? Mm-hmm. How about we reverse engineer what they're doing because they're the number one in that space. Reverse yeah. engineer what they do. Let's look at their diet. Let's look at their training program. And then you can base your methods around that. I mean, that's probably the smartest thing to do. If any young coaches are listening, that's exactly what I would do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And to ask the questions of the people that are consistently bringing in condition full um, types of athletes healthily for sure. Yep. All right. I'm going to narrow down on the focus a little, a little bit. Um, so you've definitely done a, been A and B shows, WBFF shows, um, ICN shows and have clients across all. What do you find the differences um, with the federations are? Someone's tossing up, um, they, a client comes to you, they're not sure what federation they want to compete in. Um, what would your best advice be? I would say that go back to the long-term vision. So think about what you want to look like in the long run. If you want to look like Rachel Dillon because she's a WBFF bikini girl, then maybe you should consider doing WBFF. If you, you know, want to look like Laura Lee and in the long term and Laura Lee's in the IFBB, then perhaps you should look at doing that. But also consider probably using ICN and as a gateway to get some, get some com- competition time, get the, some stage time, feel confident on stage, dive down into a condition that probably isn't as, as extreme as WBFF or IFBB. And as you know, everyone knows, they're untested federations. Probably look at doing a natural ter- uh, federation first before looking elsewhere. So... I think it's important to know where you want to go and think, yeah, cool. I, I think long-term I want to go WBFF, but I think probably it's best to start with ICN for my first contest. That's what I'd probably recommend for most people. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Like I know ICN does get that whole natural rep, um, but yeah, a lot of those girls did like talking on the girls uh, side did start there as well, even though it might've been a while back. There are a lot of pros that have started through ICN come up. And it almost, you're probably right. Like when you're coming on to the IFBB, like I call the IFBB more the Olympic side of bodybuilding. So you only get your first timers once. You only get your novice, which I'm assuming in IFBB's first year. Um, you only get that so, once. Yeah. yeah. So novice, novice and IFBB, it's, I think it's, um, so you need to win the competition. So if you play second IFBB novice this year, you can come back and do it next year. So you need a win to upgrade to go into the Open. Okay. So it's pre- pretty yeah. much anyone who hasn't won a show before. Yeah, exactly. No way. So, yeah, I guess then, is there a first-timer in IFBB? In IFBB? Yeah, yeah IFBB's got first-timer. So I think that's the exception. I think if you win first-timer, you're okay to do a novice for the next contest because yeah. it's just like literally your first time ever on IFBB stage. I think um, it's interesting, the ruling for IFBB, I think they should change it, in my personal opinion, because if you've done an ICN contest, you can come on to the IFB stage as a first timer. I don't agree with that. I think it should be literally your first time on stage across all federations, but it's pretty hard to police that as well. Yeah. hundred percent, which, yeah, we try at ICN. They try and um, say that it is first time on stage, but you can't, can't police that at all. Um, but that just then, if you are an athlete looking into it, if you build say, as much experience as you can in in ICN and then move into a first-timer division, you're going to have that little bit more experience, more stage experience um, coming up against those type of girls. Um, how do you compare, say, like an IFBB show, show day um, quality of competition versus something like an ICN amateur? So... The quality of competition at IFBB, so we're talking about bikini or we're just talking about across the board? Yeah, so all, if, you're com- yeah if you're most comfortable with bikini, talking about that, because I know you've had clients in both and you do have clients in ICN for this season as well. So, um, yeah, purely on bikini, where would you go, say, in the first-timer range, people in first-timer versus maybe like open to first-timer in ICN? Yeah, so... I mean, the difference in ICN first-timer to IFB first-timer is dramatic. Like, it's 
I mean, if you're really novice compet like a real novice competitor, you you haven't had much experience or time in the gym, and the conditioning, you know, isn't as strong, then I would definitely stay in ICN. The IFB first timers are, are very very strong. So, like for example, I had one girl from Adelaide. She was a first timer. Um, her name's Rochelle, and she ended up going on to the Arnold, winning the novice title as as a first timer. So you're winning, you know, your first Arnold is an uh, Arnold Classic Australia novice talk class champion. She ended up playing uh, placing second in the open class to the eventual overall champion, which was one of my girls as well. So the level of first time as an IFB is quite strong. So it also depends where the, you know, I suppose where the athlete comes from. So if you're coming from a team that takes things seriously, the first time competitors are going to be quite strong because the goal is always to do well in IFB. It's very competitive. And with my girls, it's like, you know, why are you competing for? What, what's the goal here? The goal is to always win. So I'm going to always be very careful in terms of timeline to make sure that I'm putting my girls in the best possible chance to win in the IFB. ICN, it's the same thing. Like I, I like to give my girls as much time as possible to make sure that their goal is, like, is, is really something that they can achieve. And if it's not achievable in that timeline, give them more time. But I see ICN competitors probably, you know, with respect, don't, don't really spend as much time preparing in terms of the posing, the presentation, the time in the gym. It's a big, big step up in comparison. So if you've got someone that is in the IFB that has really been knocking on the doors the first time they can get a pro card, in one go, I mean, that's a real big deal. In ICN, I don't see many first-time competitors come in and just demolish everything and potentially win a pro card. So it all depends on the individual, but I think the level of competition as a first-timer in IFB is definitely much higher than it is with ICN across the board, especially from opposing presentation point of view. It, like, talk, not even talking about development and conditioning, that side of things as well. Yeah. For just an example for the people at home, how many years training has like majority of your first time IFBB girls done um, as a baseline before they do the cutting phase? Ooh, it, it really depends on the person. So some, you know, sometimes you get someone that's just a freak that just works really hard and then they grow really well. So I think it, it goes, it's probably more of a commitment thing. If they're really disciplined, if you're super disciplined for a period of two years, you can do IFBB first time and no problem. Yeah. But how many people are super disciplined, super committed? For that period of time it's not really heard of so i've got a couple of girls that grow really fast right now and i'm like looking at the, the changes and thinking what's going on here and then i compare them to some of the other girls that i have on the team that i've been working with and that have been in the gym they might be 30 years old but they're not taking it as seriously as some of these young competitors or juniors like i've got one junior right now that i can think of she just trains like an absolute crazy person and her results are really good she's a natural competitor and it's just probably an intensity type of thing. So I think it's all individual. I wouldn't put anyone in a timeline or restrict what they can and can't do, to, you know, based on that. It's really about how dedicated you are to your craft and the intensity of what you do because there's always a level up. So I think for people that are considering, you know, if you're going from ICN to IFB, like what do you need to do to, to make that change? I think review your, review your performance. Like are you adhering to your nutrition? Are you listening to your coach? Are you practicing your posing and presentation is at a high level. Are you studying the art of bikini or any other category? So it's very important that people don't put restrictions on them in terms of timeline because you don't want to put yourself into that category. Like how tall is a ceiling, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be thinking, that, thinking about that. You need to be thinking about what you can do right now to make your dream a reality. And if your dream is to you know, jump into the WBFF, don't put a timeline on it. How about you commit to working hard right now and yeah. look at the development over the next six months? Yeah, 100%. And I think that's something like the new era of um, bodybuilding, especially with the girls, social media is blowing up. Um, and even for, for me, like I'll, I'll get girls message me out and they're like, look, I want to do a comp. I'm like, cool. Um, watch current weight training. And they're like, oh, well, I started a couple of months ago. And then they're like, when's the next comp? And you're like, well, it's not the next comp you have to, it's like, we want, if you want to be there, you want to come up and get on stage looking exactly like you want to. And I think like, it's been like the whole competitive side has been tainted a little in the last couple of years, just because of social media, that it's a, like a fast thing. Um, and in the end it's, yeah, it does take time. Yeah. So say you've got a first, first time client, they're looking, they're, 
they look pretty good. You think they're going to do well in IFBB. Um, what are the first things that you're going to start with them? Um, say going down, looking down the sides of how many weeks out should they start posing? Um, like for your girls to do best results, because I know that's something that comes up heaps. Um, when do you start cutting? And say they've got relatively good muscle, um, mm. mass already, good, good foundation. Um, so where do you go from there? Obviously, it's I would say that, yeah, that's cool. So start posing immediately in your off season. So even yeah. if you haven't got a contest in mind, so some ladies might be doing season B. They might be, let's say this, we've got some listeners that might be looking at doing season A next year. If they're in yep. IFB or ICN, doesn't matter. Start posing, practicing now, like in your off season. You yep. shouldn't just go, I'm going to do commit to a 20 week prep, which is something that I always recommend. A longer prep's always a better option, um, which I'll get into shortly. But practice your posing. Like I've never seen someone that poses 10 out of 10 on stage. In the, the, it doesn't matter if it's ICN, doesn't matter if it's IFB. So that tells you that there's always a level up. There's always something that you can improve on as a competitor. So why wouldn't you give yourself a competitive advantage and start now? So I don't think that, you know, I, I see some posing coaches with like, oh, I recommend you start 12 weeks out. It's a load of shit. You know, start now. Absolutely start now because it could come down to, you know, conditioning could come down to shape and size, but it could come down to your posing. And if you've got that confidence and you're just oozing appeal on stage as a bikini competitor, not even that, if we can talk about bodybuilding as well, like some of the like classic guys pose like shit and you know, how long are you sort of posing and practicing? And a lot of that is probably one coming down to posing conditioning, making sure that you're posing fit, especially in the comparison, like you're doing bodybuilding, you know, you get three call outs in a row, you're doing front double bicep, you've got seven poses, you got to hit before, and then you got to do it again, you've got another call out and you start cramping, it's game over already. So it doesn't even matter how, how well you hit the pose, it's also about posing conditioning. So with these bikini girls, it's the same thing. You need to make sure that your posing conditioning is on point, but you know how to pose and your confidence and your aura on stage is maintained. But moving on to, you know, contest prep duration in terms of making sure that you come in proper condition, 20 week preps always ideal. Even if someone's five kilos over stage weight, it doesn't matter. You want to mentally put yourself in a position to say, okay, what is my goal? Mm. Uh, th the goal is to, you know, it could be top three, could be to win, could be for a top call out, whatever the goal is. You know, I always say go for the number one. So if it's going for number one, by you committing to a 20 week prep and saying, I'm going to diet for this point, you know, for this period of time, you're putting yourself in a position mentally to beat everyone else because you're essentially saying, I'm going to work hard than everyone else. So mentally you're preparing for longer. You're going to be posing. And I mean, most people, once they start prep, like I would say officially commit to the idea of practicing their posing. So that's also going to start the process there. The conditioning is going to be on point. You've also got the opportunity to grow into a show because bikini girls don't have a lot of muscle, whether they're natural or not. A lot of bikini girls can grow into a show. It's not like dudes, you know, like which we probably won't get into right now, but bikini girls can grow into the show, even if they're in a deficit. And that's something that I've seen um, yeah. quite a lot, especially because a lot of them have newbie gains. Let's be real. Yeah. And if you're going to start early, you're committing to that. Your diet's on point for 20 weeks. You're going to grow into the show. Your conditioning's going to be there. You're going to feel more confident. And let's say, for example, you get an injury or something fucked up happens, you lose your job, COVID-19 happens. It doesn't matter because you started so far at a contest. None of this bullshit's going to affect you because you've had given yourself more time to get in shape. So conditioning should always be the goal. It's like if you don't have the muscle and you're committing to a prep, at least be in condition, at least pose very well. So the feedback that you're going to get from the judges, worst case scenario is, oh, you need more size. Your conditioning was awesome. Your posing was awesome. You know, your hair and makeup, all these things are great but you just need more size. Okay, cool. I can accept that. What I can't accept as a coach is someone that's not in condition that poses like shit because those are the variables that you can control. And you can do that by putting the time in and making sure that you're starting a prep, you know, 20 weeks out. Yeah. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. It's always that conditioning um, that you can, especially in, in, I think like, especially I guess clients that, because as a coach, especially as a first time client, you don't know exactly how they're going to respond so that's where like maybe if you've prepped someone a couple of times, you know how their body's going to respond. Maybe it might still throw a spanner in the work somewhere down the line. So the longer you have, the better it's going to be all, all day long. Um, and that's funnily enough, like a lot of my pros and probably your pros as well, Troy, they're straight away. It's like, well, you're looking at 20 weeks plus even more because it's just those fine tweaks in those last, um, you want to be ready four weeks out um, just to, yeah completely make sure of it. Um, I, don't, 
I know you are like very um, with your athletes is obviously your track record is really good um, with the ICN and you do have that kind of willing to win with a lot of your clients. How do you prepare, say, your bikini clients and your girls, say, for the subjectiveness of judging? Um, this sport is majorly subjective. Every federation kind of suffers from it because in the end it's people's decisions. So say you've got yeah. a girl that looks amazing. You're like, you've got, you're going to win this. You're going to kill it. And then she comes second to judging or um, anything like that. And then obviously de- like depression, let down, all of those type mm-hmm. of things. How, how, how do you kind of like almost like pre-prepare girls maybe for it or talk to girls afterwards so I think, so the first thing I do is making sure that they believe in themselves. That's the first thing. So we're committing to the goal. What is the goal we want to win or whatever it is? Okay, let's commit to that. When it comes down to probably maybe a week before the show, we have a conversation. Go, look, this is, this is you know, what we're looking at for the show. I think you can win. If you don't, then I go talk them through the process and say, look, it could be from this side of things. It could be the judging. It might be that it's close, et cetera. But I'm proud of you and done everything you need to do to get the job done. And that's number one thing. So... And then you also set them another goal. It's like, okay, cool. Whatever the situation is here, if we win this show, we've still got a, the goal doesn't change. We've still got this other opportunity here, whether it's you know doing a national show, if it's a state qualifying show, doing a national show later, whether it's doing an Arnold Classic show later or whatever it might be, there's always that other goal that you want to sort of set on. So if you just get a lady to commit to one show and it's all over on that show, mentally it's game over for them. So you need to make sure that there's always an outlet for them to focus on after that. And I've been in situ- many situations where I didn't agree with the judging. I thought some of the judging was just cra- crazy up, like just straight up bullshit. And it's happened recently and it's happened in the past. And there's been situations where like one of my girls, I remember at nationals play second. I was like, you know what? You deserve second. You know, you didn't deserve to win. And we've had that conversation and she was actually fine losing to someone, you know, placing second to someone of that caliber. And that was completely cool. But a lot of the decisions I've seen, some of it I don't agree with, but I just, um, I suppose I'll let them understand that I don't agree with it. I support them. And I probably think that they appreciate the support because I don't fuck around. I go straight to the judges and I tell them what I think and I ask for feedback and I'm very strong and honest with what I say. And, you know, the goal's not done. Like we reset the goal and we get back after it. It's like if, you, if they want a pro card and they don't get a pro card at the Arnold, for example, that's okay. We get back on the bandwagon. We take that advice from the judges whether I agree with it or not and we use it as fuel to get after it for the next time so it's important to you know get feedback from the judges whether you agree with the decision or not because sometimes you know as a coach you might be a little bit biased towards a competitor or one of your own athletes which is fine but it's important to get a subjective point of view even if you don't agree and a lot of the time we're not going to agree and what can we use from this you know and I think it's a really good character building experiment as well so you want to be humble when you win. You want to be humble in defeat. I think it's important to put it out there, the universe that you want to win. It's important to believe in yourself and have that confidence. But you don't want to be one of those arrogant pricks backstage that sort of boasts that you've won. And, you know, because anything can happen on the day. So humble in victory and humble in defeat is very, very important. Yeah, and I agree with that. And what I definitely tell my girls, especially my bikini, like bikini is a little bit harder because it's, Say, if I have a physique, bodybuilding, those guys, you've got seven poses where you can really kind of separate first and second. Um, when it comes down to bikini, it's a little bit blurrier. You can be too hard. You can be too conditioned. You can be too big. You have to be the right amount of softness, um, which is a very, very hard balancing line. So, And plus, you don't know who's going to come up on the day almost, um, especially when there is quite, quite a lot of competitors. Maybe you might know a little bit more at nationals and things like that, or you might have bet them in the past, but no matter what happens is the slate's clear. And that's the, like one of the best things about bodybuilding is no matter what's happened, no matter, every time every time you get on that stage, it's a clear slate. Um, oh, yeah. I love, I love bodybuilding for that reason because someone hits a front double bicep, you know, you know who's winning that shot. Yeah. It's so... It's like back double bicep. Okay, cool. Very rarely is it that close in bodybuilding where you're not sure. And, yeah. and if it's not sure, then guess what? You do another call out and you do, you take them through the poses and the two wins the most poses. Bikini, I think, I also think that people use it as a scapegoat, like bikini is subjective, which it is. But I, now that I've sort of delved into it and I specialize in it, it's like, I can see it from a mile away, almost like how we sort of agree on bodybuilding. Like we see a front double bicep. It's like, oh, of course that guy's winning it. Like he's got the, He's got really good tape. He's got a small waist. His conditioning's popping. Like that guy's easily won the front double. 
I almost look at it as a bikini like that now as well. So yeah. when I see some judging that's a bit off, I'm like, okay, hold on a second. Why did this competitor lose against this other person when, okay, posing a presentation is better. You know, the front shot, let's say, you know, because it's like the front and the, in life be at least, you get the front and the rear shot. So the front shot might be comparable between the two. Yeah, it's a toss-up. It's a legitimate toss-up. You turn to the rear, someone's absolutely smoking someone from the rear, and then you're taking, like, overall posing and presentation. It's like, okay, that, that girl's easily won. But sometimes that's not the case. And then you ask judges for feedback, and they give you some bullshit that you don't agree with. So um, I think, you know, the more you pay attention to a certain category, the better you're going to get at it. And I'm still learning as well. So there's some things that I probably have looked at maybe 12 months ago and like looking in hindsight that I would have changed my opinion on because my knowledge of the sports also improved. So a question I should just come up with then is um, for your kind of knowledge within the IFBB is what happens when say a bikini girls judges come back saying they're too big. So too big, too dry. Um, because I guess for IFBB, the next step up is figure. So it's like, that's a huge step up. Um, so what a majority, majority of girls go to different feds or do they try and lose muscle or? Yeah, I think that's probably, that was maybe more of a problem with the old IFB. So when it was IFB, like just plain IFB, when it's come to the pro league now, they're rewarding the bigger girls. So I would say that conditioning can definitely be a problem if you're too, but it's like, what is too lean? Because someone could easily say, oh, this person didn't, I didn't win and I put it up on social media because I was too lean and dry. No, you were just flat as fuck and you didn't carve up. Like yep. it still is bikini. Like you want to be conditioned and dry hundred percent, but you need to be full and feminine. So if you're a super conditioned and you have no muscle fullness, that's not bikini. So that's where people, I suppose, get into a disagreement, uh, especially when coaches don't have their clients looking full on stage because they're not carving up during peak week or they've, or maybe they don't have enough size. Sometimes you can't carve up muscle that's not there. And then they'll look at it and go, Oh, I was in the best shape and had the best pop in the side glute, but there's no, volume to your muscle like you can't be rewarded with that look so it's a combination of having that condition and having size and volume to the muscle and most of these ladies dehydrate really stupidly and have that flat look and you need you can't do that with bikini you need to keep a very full look so being in a very very good condition even in icn being good condition but you still need to have that full look and i think that's what people probably get into an argument about you have to be full as a bikini competitor conditioning is important but it's not as important as being full. But at the same time, you can't be full and fat, right? You can't have a lot of body fat and just be like, oh, I've got volume. No, that's fat. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's yeah. a big difference between having muscle that's full and having a full physique that's got a lot of body fat. So that's something that people need to look at and decipher. And sometimes in ICN, I see ladies that get rewarded and they've got high body fat and it's like, oh, she was full up. It's like, no, that's shit. That's just shit judging. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like, that's my number one thing is like, you all, especially in natural federations, is you have to, to within reason, um, award conditioning. You can't have someone that's softer, more condition, uh, that's less conditioned, and they're roughly the same size because that's all we have in natural. Yeah. Um, because Absolutely. it takes freaking long to build muscle. Um, so, yeah, to, that's perfect leads into the next one is uh, the talk of unnatural feds, females using. IFBB, uh, firstly, going into IFBB is there are natural girls, just to put it out there, because like a lot of the yep. word of, in the unnatural is that it's completely unnatural um, and then it goes de goes down that. I know years ago it used to be like the whole unnatural versus natural um, bodybuilding back in the day and all of that kind of stuff that it's like cheating out and all those type of things. But now it's kind of come into a, and I think especially since bikini and all of those um, type of things, a lot of the naturals are coming into IFBB. Um, so pretty much, I know you have a very strong, strong opinion on um, steroids. I have no idea anything to do with that. Um, so I'm going to just pick your brains on a little bit on how you kind of prep people um, using the unnatural side. Yeah. So firstly, it's pretty much say a girl first comes to you as a client, she wants to go pro. Does she have to take gear? No. So it's, I've got, so first of all, there are ladies that do and don't right in the open class that are competing for a pro card. So I've got, I'm not going to name names cause that's, I could definitely can't do that, but I've, I do have, or I should, I can say I do have, and I have worked with 
IFB pros that are natural, that have not taken anything. So that's the first thing that I want to put out there. Um, the second thing is I've also worked with IFB pros that have taken gear, which obviously I'm not going to name names. So there is a combination of both. It's the same thing for ladies that are competing in the open. I've worked with ladies that have not used anything in the open category. And I've worked with ladies that do use things in the open category and that are competing for a pro card. So I would want to really put the message out there that is it necessary to jump on gear for a bikini pro card in IFB or WBFF? No. And going into the WBFF, I've actually, um, I've got to be careful what I say here, but there are a lot of WBFF girls that I know that are natural as a bikini pro. And there are a lot that I know that obviously aren't. So there's a combination of both. So it's really a personal preference. What I do as a coach is I let everyone make up their own mind. So if someone says to me, Hey, look, um, do you think I can do this naturally? I would say, yes, it's just going to take more time. There's obviously a significant competitive advantage for someone that's going to use versus someone that doesn't. The ladies that generally don't use the ones that are in it for the long run are generally a little bit older. They might be in their late twenties. They might be in their early thirties and you can tell that they're natural. Like there's a certain look once you like for me, once I crossed over to the dark side, that's what I call it. I could see that look in certain people. And then once you start working with ladies that start using anabolics, you can also see it in other people. And then you're like, you also have those fake ass natties, which I don't like that are just like, Oh, you know, I haven't taken anything. And I'm like looking at them. I'm like, fuck off, bitch. Like you're full of shit. Like I can see it. Like you're really talking to me right now. And, um, it happens a lot, but you do not need to, um, to do that. So first time competitor, always keep them as natural for as long as they can, even if they're pushing it onto you. So someone says, look, Troy, I'm happy to use, I'm happy to use, I'm happy to use. I will always look at their nutrition, look at their training. If there's something that I can improve there. So most of the time ladies can increase their intensity in the gym. Most of the time as well, they're, they're not training correctly. So they're not activating their glutes, they're not activating the back. They've got weak body parts. So how about we address these weak body parts, fix your form, build up your metabolism, like fix all these things that need to be fixed before you're worrying about anabolics. And then also look at the time frame. So if you've got like a 19 year old or 20 year old that wants to jump on gear, it's like, come on kid, like, let's be real. You're a bikini girl. You're not wanting to be a figure pro right now. Yeah. You're competing or want to compete in bikini. Like shit, you're only young. So focus on those variables, those, in, uh, those things that are, that you can measure. And then once you've put in the time and you've got that level of commitment and discipline, then possibly look at that if that's something you want to do. And if you were going to go down that road, that's cool. Speak to someone that knows what the fuck they're doing and who the hell is that, right? It's like no one knows what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. So be smart about it. Very, very modest in, your, in what you should use in terms of dosages. So more often than not, some of the drugs that some of these ladies use, they're using too much shit or they're using fake stuff. So if you're going to use as a bikini competitor, buy yourself a steroid testing kit so you can make sure that it is what it's supposed to be because you don't want to have any masculine like changes. You don't want to fuck yourself. And a lot of ladies do. So I was even having a conversation with someone the other day. Um, there's this 20 year old competitor that I actually really like, um, not working with me um, as part of my team, really nice structure, really nice physique. She says she's natural. Her jaw is changing and her voice is starting to, to change as well. I'm just like, you know, who the fuck's coaching this retard? Like, you know, you, the coach is leading them in that direction because obviously is it social media pressure? Is it wanting to get a pro card? Like, what is the issue here? Like competing is a short term thing. Like you've got the rest of your life ahead of you. Yeah. You don't want to sacrifice your femininity for getting a, a result, maybe a year or two quicker than you could if you sort of went the natural road. So, you know, and I find that also people that do abuse steroids, especially in a bikini competitor, uh, as a bikini competitor, don't necessarily look the best on stage either because they haven't got their work ethic down. They're not disciplined. They're not committed. Like I mentioned before, it doesn't matter what organization they're, they're in. Some IFB ladies that I know, they're not on shit. And same thing for WBFF. Like what is the outlier then? It's not the drug because drugs are only going to help recovery. It's their work ethic. It's their commitment level. So I think if ladies focused on that first and then potentially looked at reviewing things and maybe, oh, maybe I'll use some performance enhancement shit later down the track, that would be the better option. So always think about what you can improve right now. If you're not training at a 10 out of 10 every day, why even fucking have the discussion or even think about using drugs because you're not going to get the most out of them anyway. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. You've got to have everything else sorted. Like you see your odd um, steroid head down at your like local gyms and stuff and they, they just look soft because obviously you have to have, it's a di different than say Mr. Natural Australia than jumping on it than going into the IFBB. Of course, he's going to look amazing. Um, so it's, it's doing that. Do you have a like rough percent that you would know of that competes 
natural versus unnatural in say like a maybe say bikini open in IFBB? That's that's hard to say because it's yeah. um. I, w- I would probably I'd say maybe half. I'd say fifty percent. Yeah, yeah, I'd say about fifty percent. And then that could be using clan. That could be using some other drugs. There's there's a lot of girls that do, but there's also a lot that don't. And once you develop an eye for it, you can see it. Mm. You can definitely see it. And, and you can see it in conditioning. You can see it in size. You can see it in muscle density. Uh, not even talking about femininity and like you know developing masculine qualities and those negative type of side effects. You can see it in someone's physique. Like when I crossed over myself, like. I remember when I was like competing the A and B days, I was like, no, nah. I was like so pro natty. You wouldn't believe it. And I was like, I not, I'm not ever going to use. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking that I could achieve a physique without it that I wanted. And I was completely against it. I would say, yeah, I was like king of the natty. I was like, nah, never going to use it. Everyone that uses it is fucking cheater or they're just like lazy fucks. I had that attitude, like I had yeah. the worst attitude imaginable, but really, you know, it was definitely the wrong attitude to have. I would say <laughs> looking, looking back in hindsight, but I just think everything goes back to the work ethic side of things. So you see that local gym rat that walks around, that might be a bit on a bit of tests and they're just fluffy as shit. It's because they've, they've got no discipline. You know, they're not training for symmetry and proportion. They haven't put the time into, you know, wanting to develop their physique naturally. And they don't know what it means to like earn those hard gains. Like I remember back in the day, like there was like probably three years straight where I counted my fucking macros every day and I didn't go like off one gram. You know, that's crazy shit. Like, that's just retarded. Like, that's the type of work ethic that I had. I definitely don't have that now. But, you know, so it's just really a commitment thing. It's a, it's a hard work thing more than anything. And I think people sort of forget about that. So drugs doesn't make a champion. It's, it's your work ethic. It's your mindset. It's your commitment. Yeah. And because you yourself have crossed over to your dark side, um, what, say, what would your added, say, percentage it would give, say, in physique look wise and so would like you be able to give like a, it gave me 20% more strength 50% more strength or like 400% just yeah. for like those natties that are like ah uh, int- like even I'm interested to be like oh cool so when once you start getting on gear like is it a 20% difference between a natural and an unnatural is it a 50% yeah. difference no it's a shitload dude so like but see back then back in the day like when I was working with Lane, I was into like power bodybuilding. So I had that strength-based focus. I was very, very strong as a natural. I was big on squatting and deadlifting. I did like fucked up powerlifting programs like Smolov. I'm not too sure if you're familiar with that. It's like a real nasty fucking, like you can look it up. Any listeners, just Google Smolov, S-M-O-L-O-B. It's that you're squatting four times a week and then every everything else is on maintenance, like your upper body. So your goal is to increase your one rep max and your squat like by at least 20 kilos in a four-week period as a natural competitor. It's crazy. And I I definitely did that, but you know, it depends if you're training for strength and you, you jump on, it's a significant difference. But if you're training for bodybuilding more time and attention, so it depends on the focus, but I mean, like as a natural, for example, let's say like on an incline bench, I remember like I was probably doing like 110 kilos for reps, whatever it might be. Like I could easily do three plates like now just for lols and I'm not even focusing on strength. You know, it's just something you can just, pick up and go, yep, cool. I'll I'll just jump back into that. And then you can build on that. So um, it just, your strength across the board just explodes, especially as a dude and the development, the density it's, and I think that's probably what, you know, when I did cross over, I lost that discipline and commitment. I was like, Oh, I'm getting these gains easy. I don't need to sort of be as focused as I used to be. And that's something that I definitely fell into. I was like, Oh, I'm not even counting shit now. I can just eat whatever I want and I'm growing. And that's what I did. I had that lazy, lazy ass approach to it. So yeah, for people that cross over, I mean, the size that you get from it is just, um, you know, obviously you still need to work hard. You still need to train hard, but you have a significant advantage. Like anyone, especially from a male point of view, yeah. you know, if you jumped on like two years of natural progress versus two years of being on gear and consistent with that sort of same work ethic, I mean, as a natural, you're probably lucky to gain a kilo of muscle a year. Uh, well, on cycle, you could gain three to four kilos easily a year, especially yeah. with those newbie gains, like even more as a first time cycle user, like in your first year, you should be able to put on an easy five kilos of lean muscle. Easy. And that's kind of something that you did bring up of like, once you did cross over that late, like kind of laziness. Um, and it's like, it might be a touch controversial, but like I went to the Olympia, I watched the like Arnold's, especially in the IFBB more physique side. And I just noticed like 
the major difference on conditioning that I think like, I don't know if it's easier for natural guys to get conditioned. Like they all look full as fuck. I don't know if like, especially in the more men's side, like they're more focused on being big and full, but I just found like there was less people that were in proper condition for on stage. Um, yeah, or so, just uh, like, holding water or yeah. something. I was like, yeah, it's a whole, it's definitely, yeah, there's a few things. So like, I remember like, like I said to you, when I did my contest, I was like, you know, I need to be shredded. So like my glutes were in, you know, I want to have a back double bicep where my erectors are just peeled and I achieved that level of conditioning. Uh, when I died it down and we were talking about off air, that photo shoot that I did, um, that I didn't compete and I was, I was not natural for that. Um, yeah. I didn't have that same level, although I didn't diet like I was in a contest. I didn't have that same level of back conditioning. And I think it's definitely hormone related. So yeah. I would say that when you're on cycle, your estrogen gets fucked up and you hold more body fat in your lower back. So whereas when you're natural, your back, you know, you diet down, you get in really good condition. Your back is peeled. Like you hit a Christmas tree shot, it's no problem. Whereas when you're on cycle, your hormone profile changes and it's a lot harder to bring in that lower back condition. So guys that are enhanced have a, have a hard time bringing that conditioning. So it's definitely a hormone thing, but I also think it's, it could be a work ethic thing where uh, these guys are sort of focusing on coming in too full and yeah. they might be carving up. They're using different shit like insulin, which holds a lot of water. But at the same time, when you're enhanced, you've got diuretics to use. You can drop water. You can do all these things to manipulate that type of lower back conditioning. So I think as a, like, yeah, people don't, aren't going to like it, but I think most natural bodybuilders, I would say, know how to struggle more to get in condition than yeah. people that are enhanced because, you know, from a bodybuilding side of things in the IFB or even WBFF, we are judged on size. So we conditioning isn't number one. Whereas when you're natural, conditioning is number one. It's like you bring your glutes, lower backs peeled, you know, more often than not, you're going to probably win provided that no one else is in that type of condition. You bring that to an IFB stage, it doesn't matter if someone, because someone could be five kilos heavier than you and they've got more muscle. It is a bodybuilding contest. They're going to reward that little bit of muscle over that slight edge in conditioning. So it depends on what you're competing against, but I'm with you on that. I just think that the conditioning isn't as good as it should be, especially in the bodybuilding sort of side of things. The men's physique guys, if you look at them, uh, like in, in the IFB, their conditioning is a lot better than the bodybuilders, but the bodybuilders are just too much shit. They're not too much shit and they also stay on. So it's like if you're injecting ongoing, um, back in the old days, they used to probably stop injecting. So the water retention's not there. If you keep injecting them to the day of the show or up until peak week, you're going to be a lot fuller. So you have a lot more water in terms of intramuscular and extracellular as well. So in the skin, and that also contributes to that sort of softish look and holding water, even with diuretics. So they keep drugs in to keep fuller, but they're losing conditioning. Um, so it's like a size thing over conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. And that's where I think like a lot of the natural guys jumping into physique and classic, um, a lot of our RCM pros are making the crossover and doing quite well in IFBB because of the conditioning as a coach, say uh, prepping someone that's unnatural versus natural is unnatural a shit ton harder because obviously you're not only worrying about food and that you've got to get all the other balance right as well as hormones and things like that. I would say that, see, I, I like prepping natural dudes more than, <laughs> than guys on gear, to be honest, because guys on gear are more often than not, are just fucked up mentally in the head. They're just fried. So drugs absolutely fry their brain. So I prefer prepping a natty dude all day long um, because they're just, I don't know. They're just not, they're just normal. How can I say that? Like they're not, they haven't got a fucked up whole hormonal profile. So if, for example, if let's say, you know, everyone suffers from something maybe at one point in their life, if you've got depression or anxiety, even yeah. a little bit, right. You jump on hormones, it amplifies it massively. So they end up becoming a train wreck. And if it's undiagnosed, these people that are undiagnosed end up becoming bodybuilders and it ends up being a real significant problem. So they're very hard to deal with. Um, what was the original question again? Because I was going on a tantrum there. I was about to start. Yeah, that's all right. Like that, how hard it is to prep a unnatural versus natural, even in yeah, the okay. girl side. Because I, I guess like the natural girls, you've got to just pretty much only deal with training overload, deload, and then you've got calorie deficit. And then, then reload, carb up um, during your peak week. So then you're looking at unnatural stuff. Well, now you've got to balance hormones and all those other things. Yeah, so I would say, yeah, balance... Yeah, so balancing hormones is probably something that's very interesting that you wouldn't have to worry about. Um, let's let's go back to bikini for a second. So if I was prepping someone for an IFB show and they're like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm happy to use absolutely everything under the sun. Let's go for it. 
versus a natural competitor. The natural competitor will always have a better overall body fat distribution. So they're not going to have, for example, significant estrogen problems in the lower half of their body, the glute hamstrings. Glute hamstrings is always an issue for females in bikini specifically, or even in other categories, but it's not so bad in comparison to the IFB girls who are using steroids. It's the same thing what I mentioned with the guys with, we're talking about before, the lower back issue. It's the same thing for ladies that jump on that are enhanced that had that glute hamstring issue. So you need to add in certain things to counteract that, which is a big pain in the ass. So you have some metabolic advantages, so the metabolism is going to be better. But in terms of getting in shape and, and worrying about body fat distribution, you might have to add in some things that you wouldn't like to to balance out their hormones, which is a pain in the ass. But, you know, I think that it's easier to bring in someone for bikini when they're natural because their body fat distribution's on point, but you're also not going to have the same size that you would if you're prepping someone that's on. So it's like a, you take the good with the bad. I think I would probably say I would prefer to prep someone that's natural. Um, it's a lot easier because I'm, I'm concerned, as a bikini coach, I'm concerned about body fat distribution. I'm concerned about their glute hamstring tying. So someone can, you'll see a, a lot of the IFB girls, um, they might come in with like really peeled midsections. You're like, whoa, that's the IFB type conditioning. Then you look at the glute hamstrings, the glute hamstrings look soft as shit. Whereas if you look at some of the ICN girls, their body fat looks pretty evenly overall. Like if you have someone that comes in really good condition, you're not like, oh, you're really lacking in one area. It's like consistent body fat. Like it's, everything looks really good. So they don't have fucked up hormone profiling. So I would say it's always easier to prep someone that's not on um, from that point of view, because if you're, if they were just doing a photo shoot, I would say, okay, let's you like, it's so much easier to use. Uh, sorry. It's easier to prep someone for a, for a photo shoot. If they're jumping on steroids, hundred percent, but for a contest, definitely not. It's easier when they're natural because you've got less variables to play with and less things yeah. to think about. And then they have to peak on the day. So you kind yeah. of went, went on a little bit about, um, this can tie into the second last question is like cowboy coaches and like how people kind of get the gist. Like it's getting better now, I think just with education over time, but like back in the day, probably when you started, you would have got the biggest question that bodybuilding is not healthy. Um, so going into how do you prepare your girls for post comp blues, the like post eating disorder type of thing. They're craving foods all the time. Those, uh, warning signs early and like this used to be a big thing like one to two years ago everyone talking about metabolic damage um so yeah. what are your pre preparation for your girls to kind of prevent that coming into say you've given them that goal that you're doing another show but then the show after that yeah all right so i'll, I'll let's go post comp blues um probably first yep uh, i think everyone's sort of peaking for that date so it's like i'm gonna look my best in this comp day i'm gonna have a cheat meal and all of a sudden i'll like, oh shit i've got a bit of water i'm gaining body fat i don't look as good so the people that feel that way also don't have that second goal like you need to figure out if you've just done nationals for example as it's coming up and you know you won a pro card you didn't win a pro, pro card you didn't place whatever it might be you need to set yourself another goal so you need to get refocused it's like what is next after this competition so if you've got something to get up for in the morning it's like boom your focus changes if your whole focus is based on this contest then it's like shit i've got nothing to be excited about anymore that's where the post comp blues comes in i think it's important for any competitor to set themselves a secondary goal that's like cool we're going to do nationals um you know you might be in peak week hey look what do you think after nationals I'm like i don't want to talk about it i just want to focus on nationals okay cool let's have a chat after it's done straight away make sure that they set another goal. So it's like, what is the goal? It's like, cool, let's set a, um, I might want to build up, you know, to 2000 calories because I'm on 1200 calories right now. And I want to stay within two kilos of stage weight while I do that. So that's something that's a, that can be measured. It's a goal that's going to keep them motivated because they're going to stay in shape and they're going to build up the calories. So it could be a, a metabolic goal, could be a training goal, whatever it is. So something to set yourself on that's not, completely focused on that contest because if you focus on that contest you're going to get fomo and that's where that post comp blue comes in the whole concept of metabolic damage um i would say that it's probably incompetent coaching so the people that don't have a game plan so it's like are you reverse dieting out of the show if you're reverse dieting out of the show and you're doing it properly then there's no such thing as metabolic damage the metabolic damage term comes in for people that want to label coaches as lazy or really it's the clients that have been eating a shitload of food post comp and they've, Oh, 
I've got metabolic damage because I ate a shitload of food. I put on 10 kilos, but I didn't reverse diet. It's like, what do you expect? You need to make sure that you're reverse dieting and you're doing it over. Like how many times have you seen that? It's like, Oh, my coach fucked me up. It's like, no, you fucking ate everything in like a two week period. You're now a blowfish. If you're 10 kilos over stage weight. Like what the fuck? And you've got that metabolism that let's say it's 1200 calories at 1200 yeah. calorie metabolism that you were dieting on. So of course you're going to fucking not be able to eat anything. You're going to put on weight like duh. So reverse diet, eat up the calories, build up the metabolism and then, you know, slowly start going back to normal. Like I don't know why people and athletes in general just want to eat everything under the sun. It's like, you didn't do this for how long? Of yeah. course your body's not going to respond to it. It's not going to like it. Your digestive tract's not going to like it. You know, hold a shitload of water hormonally. It's not the right thing to do. It's not healthy. Like, you know, there's a reason why you just did a 20 week prep because it's efficient. Everything's like works like clockwork. Then you're shoving food in your mouth and stuffing it up. So it's important that people have a plan post comp for that, whether it's the post comp blues or whether it's to prevent metabolic damage. But yeah, when people say that, like, I just hate hearing that term because it's when I hear that, I just automatically think lazy. I think maybe the coach is lazy because the coach didn't, you know, do a reverse diet properly or maybe that the client didn't follow the reverse diet. But I also think that the client needs to be, or the athlete needs to hold themselves accountable. Let's say worst case scenario, you've got the laziest coach imaginable. Maybe you just paid your coach to do a 20 week prep and you didn't pay him after and he's not going to do a reverse diet. So maybe you should take yeah. some accountability and go, Oh shit, I don't want to be a fat slob. I should pay my coach because you know what? This coach obviously needs to make some money at the end of the day to business. The coach obviously cares about you, but you can't expect a coach just to go, okay, I'm going to prepare a, we're going to do a reverse diet for 12 weeks free of charge. So you got to pay someone for their time. So accountability is everything within the client or the athlete, the individual. If you haven't got someone to do a reverse diet for you post comp, then maybe you should make some intelligent decisions and slowly increase food yourself. Like make some, it's like, okay, I'm doing cardio seven days a week. All right. So maybe day one of or sorry, week one of reverse dieting maybe i'll do cardio four, three or four times that week and slowly taper off cardio so make some intelligent decisions it's like you don't need a coach to tell you not to eat stupid shit like you've just prepped for 20 weeks you know what's like a logical thing to do you've had a cheat meal probably post comp with family and friends you probably had seconds and thirds and fourths and eat everything under the sun okay cool go back to eating properly the next day and then continue that habit build up the calories soon and get fat in the off season like shit have some accountability people. And that's the other major thing to listeners is like, everyone thinks it's not going to happen to them. So they're like, Oh, like I'm going to do the reverse diet. And then like two weeks in, they're like, fuck. So yeah, it is taking that time. What would you recommend? How long reverse diet? Ooh, I, I, I think I would, I don't even like to put a timeline on it. I just think it's yeah. like, if you're in for this, if you're in this sport, seriously, like this is your lifestyle people. Like this is what you do. You don't just go, I'm going to do an eight week reverse diet and I'm back to YOLO eating. Like that's for yeah. someone that maybe, you know, I don't know, they're not taking the sport seriously. Like, you know, you want to be able to continually do that. I'd say at least if, if someone's new to the whole concept of reverse dieting, then I would, I would say as a bikini athlete, at least be eating at least 2000 calories, get to that point before you consider eating everything under the sun. I think it's a respectable amount. Not everyone can eat 3000 calories as a bikini competitor. But 2000 seems about right. Like at least then if you go have a cheat meal and your body's having 2000 calories a day, it's not going to affect you that greatly. So, but for the people that diet down, they're on shit calories. Like sometimes you hear about 600 calorie diets and all that. And sometimes it happens. If you're on 600 calories in, you know, the last three weeks to into your contest, you can't just go out and eat everything under the sun. Like logic people, like slowly build your calories back up. 100%. And that brings us to my last question, which I keep the same for every um, person because it's kind of like the reason why I started this podcast is to pretty much work this answer because it was um, coaching through the years. I'm thinking you're going to ha have a very similar um, idea and the way I explain it changes every time. So the best way to come is like you've got some athletes that are completely adherent, stick to everything you say, do everything. They're going to get amazing results. Um, and then there's just some people that aren't. And like what I'm trying to work it out, is it DNA? Is it complete kind of something in some people, but it's not others. And then how do you kind of, so if you were to bottle up, say, let's just say three ingredients that you could give to every one of your clients and they're going to be a fucking beast. Um, what would those three type of points be that you would like add into that ingredients? 
I would say that first of all, they need to set themselves a goal. Like you need to know where you want to go. So yeah. if you want to win a pro card, it's like, okay, I might have a first time of physique. I might have competed before. I don't, like, I don't care as how crazy this sounds. If someone hasn't even competed in ICN, it's like, you need to know where you want to go. And sometimes I understand that maybe you haven't competed in your first contest. You don't know yet. That's fine. But once you have that first contest and you really enjoy the sport, you need to think about that long-term goal. So if it's to get a pro card, then automatically you need to start training like it. So it's one, yeah. setting the goal. Two would be commitment to that goal. So what are you doing day in, day out to make that goal a reality? So that obviously means compliance. It means adherence. means training harder than everyone else. So you need to be that type of person that's like, okay, cool. I'm a competitive motherfucker. When I go into the gym, I'm going to be the hardest working person in the room. And then all of a sudden, that hardest, hardest working person in the room thing doesn't even matter anymore because you're comparing yourself to your best effort, which might be, all right, I'm going to write down, okay, I did an eight out of 10 session today. But that was fucking shit. What do you need to do to bump it up to a nine? What do you need to do to bump it up to a 10? So then you stop comp comparing yourself to others because guess what? Not everyone can get a pro card, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to be that person that's taking it to the next level. You need to compare yourself to you and your best performance. And I think that's what everyone needs to do. So I'd say goal setting, commitment, and I would say just no, no excuses. Like just cut the bullshit. Like people out there that are like, I can't do it. No, like no negative self-talk. No negative self-talk, believe in yourself. So I would say goal setting, commitment, and believing yourself. It's so very important to have that goal, to believe in it wholeheartedly, and to commit to it. If you do that, it's game the fuck over. The people that, um, that I've seen, whether it's on my team that have done really well or other people, I speak to them, and they all have that in, in common. They knew, they knew where they wanted to go. They had that goal set, wanted to get a pro card or whatever the sort of feat was for them. They were committed to the journey. They were committed to the process and every single one of them believed in themselves. So I think it's so very important to believe in what you want and to go after it wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good answer as well. And I, I, I'm like huge, huge about like that, the whole belief thing. Like even my physique, I don't actually think it changed that dramatically until I was like, I want this. And then as soon as I was like, okay, I, I want my lats to grow. It's like, bam, fuck it. It happened. I want this, bam, it was happening. I was like, hmm, there's something to like this mind-body connection um, that I like truly believe, believe in. So thanks pretty much for joining. Where can people reach out to you? So I know you put heaps of clients' transformations on your Instagram. You have an amazing Instagram following and things like that. Where, where's the best place to reach you or listen to more of your podcasts and things like that? Yeah, so I'd probably say Instagram is like the flavor of the month, hey? So just <laughs> you can send me a DM on Instagram if you want to have a chat. If someone just wants to like learn more about drugs or anything, like I'm happy to share some of that. I can tell you some big, big no-nos and yeah. um, because a lot of people probably are scared to talk about that, but Instagram's the way to go. And then what is it called? You got like Linktree, you know how you got that Linktree oh, link yeah, in your yeah, bio yeah. type of thing. So then I think um, I've got that set up where you can just sort of click on a podcast and have a look at some of the content that I've got out there. So got some cool athlete interviews and just a lot of my bullshit ranting. So you could probably go back and hear a lot of the things that I believe in, but it's important as well to sort of not just listen to, to my content for anyone that's listening, but to learn, you can learn something from everyone. And it's also cool to pay attention to people that you might not agree with because you might also find that a, your, your opinion can change because mine certainly has. And you can also potentially learn not what to do because sometimes people push out the wrong information and you're like, this fucking crazy bastard is wrong. And you're like, cool, I'm not going to do that. That's something that I know that's not going to work for me. So the more information that you sort of gain access to, the more you can make up your own mind and sort of, you know, figure out what works for you, what doesn't, and listen to your gut. Like your gut's never wrong. I'm, I'm a firm believer of that. It's like energy is so important, not just what you put your energy into, but listening to the energy around you. And if something doesn't feel right, something doesn't make sense, it's probably because it's not right for you. Yeah, and I 100% agree with that. Thanks heaps. We will hit you guys in the next one.